Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to the Partly Political Broadcast, the comedy politics show where, like the new PM declares about herself, what you see is what you get, which is why this is only audio with zero visual content. I'm Tiernan Duya, but this week, as the new leader of the Conservative Party, and thus because of our democratic system that only allows 160,000 of the very worst people a say, also Prime Minister, is announced as being Liz Truss, a woman with all the charm of a multiple vehicle collision. At least we know she has a vision for Britain. Unfortunately, that vision is a selfie of her cosplaying Thatcher and using a filter that fails not to make her look anything other than ill and laminated at the very same time. Prime Minister Liz Truss. Those words, when said aloud altogether, feel not unlike being in need of a blood transfusion and having a doctor tell you, I'm sorry, all we have is this old bottle of sunny delight that someone's taken a piss in. It's like if in Lord of the Rings The Two Towers, when Gandalf arrives with the riders of Rohan at Helm's Deep in order to save the day, it had just instead been a bloated tortoise who rolled down the cliffside before shitting Frodo. Or in Avengers Endgame, where Captain Marvel shows up if she'd been replaced by a low, frequently changing in tone and clearly uncomfortable fart. In the hour of Britain's need, we have been sent the only person left in the office, and that's because she got stuck in the printer room and couldn't find the exit despite there only being one door. Liz Truss is not the Prime Minister we need, and I'm not even sure she's the one we deserve unless life is a computer game and we've now made our way through all the other end-of-level bosses and have reached the one the designers didn't think anyone would survive to, so didn't bother developing her properly. Yes, this is who we've been sent, and if only we could scroll no longer at this address, please return to sender on her and send her back immediately. It's not an understatement to say that Britain feels like it's just weeks away from becoming an island-sized historical reenactment park where visitors will row over from France before docking their boat amongst the turds to see what it was like when people had no electricity, heating or food, but they did have polio and were forever in fear of imaginary threats such as not believing in the country hard enough or the woke who these strange oldie-worldie people fear would get them in the night and they'd rise the next day to find they suddenly had pronouns or an appreciation for historical accuracy. Doing just a quick checklist of the past summer months, the country has beaches so covered in shit now that we should change the song to be Stool Britannia, Britannia Stools the Waves. We'll soon have energy bills that will be so costly, the only hope is the sheer anger of reading your statement may heat you up for free for a few hours. Inflation is stupidly high, we're collapsing into a recession, everyone is having to go on strike and it's a 12 hour wait for an ambulance. But I suppose you could just sort of follow the Conservatives' mindset and insist that your injury is absolutely fine and there's nothing to worry about and it'll probably just heal itself. They say it's always the darkest before the dawn, but I'm not sure that counts for a country where turning on the lights in winter will need you to take out a bank loan first and then it'll be rendered useless by the predicted blackouts in January anyway. But maybe that is why the only person to lead us through this is someone who would have done it blindly even with the lights constantly on, which I'm not sure hers are and there's definitely no one home either way. Of course, it's not like we had much of a choice, was it? I mean, if it wasn't trust, then it would have been former Chancellor Rishi Sunak, a man who's so rich that his sense of empathy and morals are stored offshore, possibly even off-planet. The leadership campaign seemed to be a constant one-upmanship on who could promise the worst, most evil policy, to a point where I wondered if someone just needed to say their demon names so the game could end and they could return to their real home of the underworld. 
Sunak said he'd cut unnecessary EU laws that we still use in Britain, and then Trust followed by saying she'd scrap all existing EU laws and take us out of the European Court of Human Rights. Ugh, one love. Trust said she'd expand the Rwanda policy. Sunak said he'd stick migrants on cruise ships, which, having heard about cruises, would actually be even worse than detention centres or countries with awful human rights records. I mean, God forbid he'd also have made them do comedy shows to the same elderly racist audience several nights in a row. Rishi Sunak made racist jokes about himself, while Liz Truss said she was ready to press the nuclear button, which actually, based on how things are going, might be the one positive of her winning, as if she did, at least we wouldn't have to pay extortionate heating bills anymore, as the country would be glowing warm for quite some time. It did feel as though we had the contest gone on for another four more excruciating weeks, that Sunak might have promised to make everyone the party didn't like walk into the sea, while Truss would have insisted she'd have drowned them with her bare hands. But Rishi Sunak didn't win because he's Asian and a number of Tory voters would have preferred to vote in a potato rather than someone who wasn't white. I mean, in a way, they did exactly that. And I have to say, it was great seeing Rishi Sunak lose something other than £11 billion of public money. He would have been a fucking terrible leader, with his endless posts showing him failing to do ordinary things as he tried to have a conversation with a postbox or tried to drive his car onto the tube, all the while insisting no one needed help with the cost of living crisis because he's got an initiative where if you buy a government NFT, you get 50p off a Boots meal deal that you then have to pay back three weeks later. Now Sunak's lost, he says he will support the new Conservative government, which means probably donate large sums to it so his wife can continue to avoid tax, and when he finds out he hasn't got a job in Liz's cabinet, I reckon he'll try to buy Parliament. Of course, Liz Truss will be a fucking terrible leader. It's hard to say how terrible, because her first speech after winning the leadership contest was the political version of John Cage's 444, but without any of the self-awareness or artistic intention. And unfortunately, without the silence. She said she campaigned as a Conservative and will govern as a Conservative, which, if that has any meaning, just indicates that, like the last 12 years of Tory governance, she'll do absolutely fuck all to help anyone but the donors and herself. Trust says she'll deliver on the National Health Service, but she didn't say what she'd deliver on them, so it could well be a series of carefully written death threats. Then she thanked outgoing Prime Minister and, oh dear, a doctor accidentally did a birth certificate for one of those dermoid cysts with teeth and hair, Boris Johnson, for getting Brexit done, which he didn't, for standing up to Vladimir Putin, which, I mean, did he do that? Maybe he did that at one of the parties he was invited to, and for saying that he was admired from Kiev to Carlisle, which isn't very much of a geographical distance, doesn't include most of the UK, and a large amount of it is sea, which is now filled with poo. And that was it. That was the whole speech. She just kept saying, we will deliver, we will deliver, though that's possibly an insight into what she thinks may need to happen if she removes more working rights and postal workers have to continue to go on strike. From her time as Trade Secretary and then Foreign Secretary, we know that Liz Truss's main skill is getting deals that are exactly the same as they were before, but somehow worse. From her time as Environment Secretary, we know she adores pork markets. From her time as Justice Secretary, we know she hates judges for upholding the law. And from her time as Women and Equalities Minister, we also know she doesn't like those either. From the past few weeks, we've gathered that Liz Truss does have plans for things, but she doesn't want to say what any of them are, and you wouldn't know them anyway as they go to another school. We know that when asked if French President Macron was a friend or foe, she said the jury's out, though she could have just meant mentally for herself. She seemed keen to scrap the speed limit on motorways because I guess if you're going to have a car crash premiership, you may as well do it for real. Liz Truss wants farmers producing food, not solar panels, which I think is what she assumes what sunflower seeds turn into. And she thinks it's fair to give the wealthiest people higher tax cuts because it's wrong to look at everything through the lens of redistribution and probably why she only looks at everything through the lens of her phone camera and various filters. The new Prime Minister says she'll do away with sticking plasters and kicking cans down the road, which sounds pretty much like translated it means more cuts to the NHS and a ban on kids having any fun at all. And then there will be a plan for energy bills by the end of this week. What is it? No, no one knows. I mean, it might be to freeze energy prices, but with her record so far, it's likely to turn out actually that people must freeze in order to uphold current prices. Or maybe with suggestions that she wants to overhaul employment law, maybe the idea is that everyone works for 24 hours a day and then can use the heating in their office and save money on home bills, you know, by dying from overworking and then never having to pay for anything again. What's more likely is Liz Truss will declare an energy crisis as woke and deny it's even happening and then say anyone who dies from the cold simply isn't being patriotic enough. Currently, all rumours for her cabinet look like a competition entry for the worst possible person to be put in that job championships, but one that was rejected for just being too distasteful and going far too far. Then again, it did work for her, didn't it? Oh, and rumours suggest she might be facing infighting from Tory MPs, so that is something to think about and help you remember what's really important as you there fight off hypothermia. 
Priti Patel, who will be fine in December without heating due to being completely cold-blooded, has already resigned as Home Secretary, though it could be that she ran out of people of colour to remove without warning and had to take herself down to satiate her need. She'll likely be wrestling herself onto a plane at midnight without any legal consent. Upright slug Lord Frost is now not going to be in Liz Truss's cabinet after talks over his position broke down, because it turns out he can't even do successful negotiations about his own job. Liz Truss said during an interview on the flagship show for Laura Kunzberg, a woman who is to political journalism what copying someone else's homework is to studying, that it is wrong to predict the future. Well, it is much easier to predict the past, I guess, as it's already happened, even though most Conservatives still like to rewrite that anyway. But that must be why Liz Truss gave us absolutely no clues as to what it will hold with her in charge. I mean, or more likely, it's because she has absolutely no idea and will make it all up on the spot as she goes along. Regardless, here's how I think the next few weeks are going to pan out. Tomorrow, from this podcast, September the 6th, Liz Truss will go to Balmoral to meet the Queen and be made Prime Minister. Now, I don't like the Royals, but if this is a Red Wedding-style plan from her match, I will become a staunch Royalist almost immediately, except for Andrew, obviously, he's a massive nonce. September the 12th, Liz Truss will be declared as officially missing, having not been seen since her arrival at Balmoral. September the 30th, Liz Truss is found in one of the toilets in the castle's west wing, unable to find the door and surviving on toilet water and chewing bits of loo roll. October the 4th, after recovering with several £3,000 breakfasts, the Prime Minister declares that castles are woke and tries to pass laws to have them banned. October the 8th, failing to ban castles, Truss tries to have all doors and rooms banned and says a real Britain would be entirely outdoors, which is also her plan for reducing energy bills. October the 14th, Liz Truss gets lost outdoors standing still in one place. She declares places as woke and tries to have them banned, unironically declaring true British people as citizens of nowhere. October the 16th, after seeing her ratings drop even more, Liz Truss decides to deport all British people as they obviously aren't really British or they'd like her. She replaces the army with pigs who she says are her real friends and makes them all very special hats. October the 22nd, the pigs get sick of Liz Truss and find footage of her bigging up pork markets so they all walk into the sea of their own accord. Liz Truss is the only person left in the UK but isn't aware of this as she can't find her way out of her room. November the 1st, Liz Truss names her new new cabinet and it includes a wedge of cheese she's calling Derek Cheddary and has drawn a face on him. He's given the title of Secretary of State for all the things over there. Nadine Dorries is still Culture Secretary. November the 12th, Derek Cheddary goes mouldy, but Liz Truss says she still has confidence in him. November the 13th, Derek Cheddary is stolen by mice. Truss immediately declares war on mice. November the 14th, after discovering mice live everywhere, Liz Truss hits the nuclear button without hesitation. November the 21st, despite it seeming like the UK and one third of the world has been destroyed, Boris Johnson emerges from a fridge completely intact. He proceeds to breed with the remains of furniture he finds and populates the country himself with a new species of hairy pillow people. Nadine Dorries is still Culture Secretary. But, you know, I mean, that's just one prediction, is it? So I guess we'll just have to wait and see, eh? At least, hooray, it's another female Prime Minister, which shows the Conservatives are much better at equality than Labour, who last time all raced to vote for a man resembling an upright air vent over any female candidates at all. So progressive of the Tories, right? Nothing promotes feminism or indeed overall equality like letting people know that anyone of any gender or ethnicity can also be an absolute abomination of a human being. They can't be Prime Minister, though, unless they're white and went to the right schools. Boris Johnson has finally left Number 10 Downing Street, though scientists reckon it may not be safe for anything to grow or reside there for at least 50 years, unless it is equally as toxic, so that's lucky. The now fucking finally former Prime Minister spent his last two months as leader supporting the country like he did the rest of his premiership, by doing fuck all except going on holiday and running around in stupid costumes. His farewell tour of the UK seemed to involve partying with AIDS on his private plane, though sadly the pilot wasn't also drunk or it might have been a worthwhile use of public money. During the tour, Boris Johnson promoted building new nuclear power plants, comparing the cost saving to being like buying a new kettle, which isn't the most reassuring thing to hear from a man who couldn't even make a cup of tea properly in his 2019 election campaign video. The Privileges Committee are still going ahead with their probe into whether Johnson committed a contempt of Parliament by telling MPs there were no lockdown-breaking parties at number 10, when there definitely, definitely were. His lawyers are saying such a probe would be ruled unlawful by real judges, which you'd think would mean that they and Johnson would back it and push ahead regardless of advice. The concern is, if Boris Johnson is found of misleading Parliament, it could cause a by-election which would stop him running for Tory leadership again in future, something he's rumoured to consider as there's every chance you know, he'll need more wallpaper in a few years' time. 
thing is, this is what happens with every new Tory leader, isn't it? Do you remember Trapped with Carbonite but carrying on anyway, Theresa May, where everyone suddenly thought that actually austerity king pigfucker David Cameron wasn't the worst person on earth? And then Boris Johnson made many say, actually, Theresa May violently deporting the Windrush generation and leaving people from Grenfell Tower homeless was just a bit of fun in comparison to this lump. Could it be that after two months of Liz Truss, the discourse will be, well, he only let 150,000 people die, gave billions of pounds of contracts to mates, broke the law, lied endlessly and met with one former KGB agent, so, you know, he wasn't that bad as this one. Well, we shouldn't predict the future, right? All I will say is that don't forget, one great way to keep warm this winter would be to riot. I mean, all the shouting and kicking gets the blood pumping, and if there's enough of us there, we can just huddle like penguins while being kettled and stay toasty for days. And I'm not just saying that because I'm short and so I need to stay in the middle. Lastly, former Met Police Commissioner and the worst marmoset, Cressida Dick, said she was intimidated into resigning from her position. Oh, that's a shame. She should have totally waved down a bus driver for help. Hey! Yes, I thought the show should probably come back in time to herald the moment that we all knew everything was even more doomed than it has felt every week since, uh, I guess, probably 4th of May 1979. I wasn't even alive then, but I'm guessing it's just not really stopped since then. I do think Liz Truss as Prime Minister has some positives, you know, uh, like knowing that even if you have the brain power of a dazed aphid, you can still get elected to power. So that's good to know, isn't it? And also that there is a much slimmer chance of the Conservatives winning an election again with her in power, which does, of course, have the caveat of us somehow still having to survive until there is an election. Um, and I suppose there is still some chance she might win. And if she doesn't, we'll get a Labour government who are also monumentally shit, even though not quite as shit. You know, the cheery nihilist in me does sort of feel like poo rivers poo rivers that just sort of feels right for the country right now you know you don't want to stay here because it's shit but all the shit also makes it very hard to swim away and leave i mean no one is going to do one of those swimming the channel for charity now things are they hey at least so our waters will remain sovereign or something you know like that because no one's going to want to fish for dover sole when they could net a really big turd instead um yeah so you know some positives I hope you're okay. I, I think I'm okay. I am very glad I took a break from this podcast and watching the news for the summer to have a little go at being the dog in the everything is fine meme. Um, done that for a few weeks now. I'm now back and ready to say swear words about all of this stuff for a while instead. Uh, well, obviously in between getting my agent ready for school. Yeah, uh, which I mean, that's flown by, hasn't it? She starts next week, um, which isn't what we expected. We thought that her school was going to start maybe this week and we took her out of nursery two weeks ago and it's been no childcare central here. Um, so it's basically like sort of how it was in lockdown, uh, except now we can't go anywhere as it's too expensive. We've got to save all our money in order to boil an egg at some point in December. Um, but yeah, my agent uh, is super excited about school, which is great. And now I've just got that kind of slight worry of like, obviously, I really support teachers. I really, really hope all the teachers do go on strike for better conditions um, and fight for it. I mean, aside from that, I hope everyone goes on strike. Let's just all go on strike all at once. Um, but also, please, teachers, don't go on strike just yet as I really... I can't play the same game with the Playmobil figures involving witches and princesses for another day. Like, I can't do that again. It never ends. I can't do it again. Please, please just don't strike yet. Okay, please think of me. I know, you know, that's slightly selfish, overworking conditions and your rights and, and you're being, you know, having enough food to eat. But just for a second, think of me instead. Thanks. Oh, God, this is how people become Tory, isn't it? It is, isn't it? Yeah. Um, cheers to those of you who Patreoned and co-feed me over the August, um, despite no podcast at all. Uh, that's really lovely of you. I've decided I'm going to stop plugging those things on this show for now, as frankly, um, everyone needs to be saving cash. I mean, God knows. Made by the end of the week, Liz Trust will promise to pay you all £5 each from her own pocket and we'll all be fine. But generally, I'm just a bit worried about asking for money when um, I think... I hope I'll be okay. Um, I've seen a few of you have dropped off the Patreon and I just want to say, I will find you and I'll hunt you down and destroy it. Sorry, I mean, um, that's totally cool. Uh, do, if you need to do Patreon, if you need to stop the Kofi recurring payments, do. We all need to save money in order to boil one egg at some point in December. I do fully understand. Um, also, if you do have endless cash though and you're super mega rich, firstly, why haven't you contacted me before and bought me a boat? What's going on? But also, best to use that cash for things like the RMT Strikers Fund, which is plugged later in this episode, or like the Pakistan Relief funds which are so hugely hugely important i haven't linked to that um do check out people like bishop k ali's uh sort of instagram for really good links to stuff like that online um but there's so many better things uh rather than buying christmas sash coffee even though we'll need a lot of crisps to generate warmth in the winter and i guess i have to have cold coffee it'll still work though won't it thanks um other quick things um i've got several weeks of interviews locked down which is exciting um i had a realization uh, that 
every interviewee since last May has been a white dude. Uh, now, I do try to have a sort of good representation kind of amongst interviewees. Uh, normally, I, I try and have kind of diverse guests, but that hasn't happened. Um, I don't know why that is. Uh, I promise I haven't gone all Jordan Peterson on you. What's that? Wanting teachers not to strike and only booking white male guests. What have you become? Who are you turning? Like, I just wanted to fit in with other popular podcast hosts, okay? I've got to make this show, like, get more listeners somehow. But seriously, please do help by recommending guests or charities or groups that I should talk to. Um, you know, that would be really great. And I may still start recommending you eat meat or chop wood or something just to see if I can draw a few newbies in. You know, um, I mean, I don't do either of those things, but I, I, can, I can have a go. Also, uh, it's worth saying that Joe Lysett is brilliant. Um, it's brilliant. I thought what he did on Laura Kinsberg's show was so fucking excellent um it was a terrible show i'm so pleased how angry he's made uh, politics once and newspapers and to the extent where they're talking about even like changing or make shows they just won't let comedians on it ever again which i mean it's gonna be hard because it can't happen if they don't book fucking clowns am i right slab yeah chop some wood um joe is wonderful though i think he did superbly he's always been wonderful i i one of my favorite things i've ever seen him do um well uh was it was it Peter he had a character called Peter Most where um, he just constantly rhymed things with the word most so he always ate toast his favourite speak was a ghost and then he had a character called Peter Lint who was um, he could only say sentences that had chocolate names it was very silly uh, but he's he's a genuinely lovely brilliant brilliant man I'm so I, I thought it was wonderful seeing that on Sunday anyway so go support his tour uh, he probably doesn't need me to plug his tour I think he's got a lot of people going um, but I bet it will be excellent um, and lastly uh, if you have Apple TV for some weird reason uh, I do I'm not really sure why then um there's a program on there called home and it's kind of hidden away in there but i i've been watching it it's like the calmest loveliest loveliest i know there's all the like the, the rings of dragons and all the other shows going on but right episode two of season one of home is about the artist theaster gates and um he's he lives in sort of uh like i think it's south chicago and uh a really sort of poverty stricken area and area it's known for a lot of crime and he's basically decides that he lives there and he wants to make it nicer and uses his kind of artistic design to just oh it's it's wonderful it's just beautiful it's basically the most inspirational thing i've seen in ages go watch it it's fantastic um right that's it i just thought i'd recommend a nice thing i'm gonna try and recommend nice things on this show uh that's um, maybe <laughs> probably it will last a week it will last a week next week it'll just be like, fucking terrible uh, and begging for cash again um but look right now let's not mess about this week's guest is rmt union rep tony collins um he was absolutely brilliant to talk to uh but also i thought this week i should try and be as helpful and reassuring about the upcoming energy crisis as many of our politicians have been. People are all bloody complaining about paying their energy bills, but when I grew up in the Ice Age, we didn't have any central heating and we all survived by dying. So, frankly, I think young people should just toughen up and hunt woolly mammoths for their hide instead of ogling avocados and drinking what flights or whatever they're called. But if you are worried, then firstly, you're being unpatriotic and you should love Britain more. But secondly, here are some tips to reduce your energy bills that are totally doable for everyone to do, no matter your class or species. And I should know, as I haven't done any of them, because I get my heating paid for on expenses and so do my horses. Tip one. Try getting dressed in other people's clothes while they're still wearing them. I I don't think you need consent. It's a time of need. It's a time of crisis. Just sort of hop right in and uh, should keep both of you very warm all at once. Have you tried swapping the milk on your cereal for lava? Uh, It's a great alternative milk source, of course, if you're dairy-free. Still applies. Really warms you up right in the tummy. Mm, Lovely. Uh, you could move to Venus. Uh, it's very nice this time of year. Very nice every time of year. Very hot. Very warm. A little bit dry. Very warm. You could get exposed to cosmic rays and gain powers to become a human torch. Obviously, could go a bit wrong. Could get very stretchy limbs or look hideous. Uh, rather like most of the Tory backbench. But I suppose then you could sneak in and get the heating in there for free if you did that. Just as worth it. Tip something. Get a pet dragon. Uh, I know pet insurance is quite expensive for a dragon, um, but it, it works. But it worked for the Targaryens, didn't it? You never see them complaining about the cold. Not like those northern ones. Stand near any of the current politicians and be warmed by the considerable amounts of hot air they produce. Obviously, probably some awful breath issues as well, but still enjoy it while you can. And that's 
how they're there, right there, helping the British public. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Unions. No, that's not what it's called when a mythical horse-like beast gets aroused. Instead, a union is an organisation of workers intent on improving the conditions of their employment, or as most politicians and most news outlets would have you believe, rampant, all-powerful job pirates whose very existence causes economies to collapse and societal structures to implode because of their ludicrous demands for staff to be able to afford to eat from what they earn and not spend their days somewhere where the chances of getting by without injury are lower than on a medieval gauntlet run. Despite trade unions being historically the reason why our working hours aren't all of them and your children aren't currently down a chimney, well, I mean, unless, you know, they're there by choice because kids, right? Then trade unions have been constantly demonised for sticking up for actual people, which is totally against trend. I mean, what would actual people do with money, right? Use it to survive instead of building a vanity space project while pissing on a burning earth? (laughs) Totally not worth it, mate. But what with times being absolute burning pig shit, to put it poetically, and an opposition who are only really opposed to their own membership, unions are starting to be rightly seen as one of the main ways to face up to the government, mostly wishing you were all dead, or at least without any working rights or enough money to have any sort of enjoyable life. This summer has seen a number of strikes from railway and transport workers, workers in the postal service, delivery drivers, barristers, and soon very likely teachers, nurses, the fire brigade, and many, many more. Something, as you can probably tell, I am in full solidarity with, but as someone who's self-employed, I can't really strike as just no one would be able to tell. A number of union leaders have gained support for their campaigns by going on the news and talking about normal people, which has uh, completely thrown everyone off. It turns out that sometimes to change a political system, being able to say this is nonsense is far more powerful than judicial reviews or quote tweeting with something sarcastic. If Liz Truss goes ahead with her proposed changes to working rights to make them more along the lines of the ones ants have, then we could well see the country at an entire standstill come mid-October. Hopefully. The narrative on unions is changing across the world too, even in the US where the idea of anything other than capitalism is usually considered as the enemy. And yet workers for companies such as Amazon have managed to unionise and fight for better conditions, probably just before penis with eyes Jeff Bezos had them working on the moon for nothing but the threat of removing their grav boots if they complained. So are we at a turning point? Could we be on the brink of a general strike? Will Liz Trust just refuse to believe it's happening and, and spend six days on a non-moving train insisting it'll get there if we all just believe in Britain more? This week I spoke to Tony Collins, who is a tube driver, RMT rep and someone who is generally great on Twitter about most politics stuff. I asked him just where he thinks it will all go next, if people actually like unions again now and why normal people talking has broken through like it has. Tony very kindly spared time on his week off from work and week fully on repping to talk to me and I should say that in this we mentioned both Mick Lynch and Eddie Dempsey um, the former, who I found out via very tedious people on Twitter yesterday, said something not great about comparing 
working conditions in Leicester to the conditions of the Uyghur Muslims in China. It, it, it didn't sound great. Anyway, and then Eddie Dempsey has had some very concerning things pop up about his uh, past affiliations too. And these are things that I probably would have asked Tony about if I'd known them at the time. But also, this whole thing is about is about rights for workers, um, as a right, about union movement as a whole. And I'm very aware that what often happens with these things is uh, certain people are kind of figureheaded and then demonised and then suddenly all unions and all human beings are awful and we're better off letting Liz Truss heat her home with a bonfire of human rights. Uh, and I didn't want to do that here. Let's focus on how important it is to be in a union and what may happen next. Anyway, I hope you enjoy. Here is Tony. Tony, it, thanks for coming on the podcast this week. Um, you know, I, I, I really want there to be a general strike. I'm quite, I'm quite blatant about it. I'm a self-employed person, so this is it's useless for me. To sort of, I can't be in solidarity. No one knows if I'm on strike or not. They can't really tell. I'm always in my pajamas uh, and uh, not doing much. Um, but you know. At, We've got United and Unison saying they're planning action together. Um, obviously, RMT, we've got several strikes, plan poster workers are going on strike. Do you think where we're at now is on the verge of, of a countrywide general strike? Um, and, and if not, what sort of other outcomes do you think there might be from this kind of increasing strike action that we're seeing? Yeah, it's always a really hard question to answer because if you're in the union movement, you're used to sort of going, yeah, 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 let's pick it up. Everything's about to, everything's boiling over. And so you always want people to feel like, look, if we just do this one extra thing, then we're actually going to win. But at the same time, we're probably not. You know, there's a, a huge amount that's got to happen before we could have anything that you'd call a general strike. And But what we're really talking about is, are there going to be enough people taking strikes? Are there going to be enough people fighting back? Because it's not just people like striking at work. It's also, are there going to be enough people fighting against what the local council's doing and stuff to make it really roll over and for people to start winning and for people to start, you know, really achieving something. And to be honest, we've been on the verge of that for quite a while now. Things have been going pretty bad for a while. Whether we get there or not, I don't know. That's a, you know, that's, it was a really hard one because, for example, I work on the London Underground. We've taken three days of strike action now in the last few months. We've not achieved anything so far. Uh, my colleagues on the main line have done several days strike action. They've not got any wins yet. To, to sort of get what people would see as a general strike, we're talking about people taking six, seven, ten days on strike where their families are pleading them to get back to work because they've got no food left. You know, stuff that is actually quite serious, really serious, not just like can we budget to lose a day's money in a strike, but to actually be prepared to lose something big, to gain something big. And um, We're not there yet, but with the way things are going, with the, the speed with which this crisis is, is hitting us, we could get there pretty soon. Now, you asked what sort of other outcomes there were. The people that run this country would like there to be a few wins so that people go, oh, OK, maybe I should just join a union and then not fight very much. With inflation in the sort of 10, 11, 12, and possibly going up to 22%, just getting a 22% pay rise is not going to be enough because that's just to keep you being able to pay your bills. For us to actually start like moving forward and clawing back some of what we've lost, we're going to need 23, 25, 30% pay rises. Uh, I don't know what your listeners' sort of personal experiences will, will be, but for the last 13 years, we've had stagnant wages in this country and even dropping wages. We've seen huge drops in living standards in this country. So actually... We do need a lot of wins. We, we're all without a general strike. We do need Unite to win in all the different places that it's are going on strike. We need the Post to sort of push back against this really small pay rise. We need on the Royal, on the uh, network rail where they want to slash safety inspections. We're going to need all of that to happen with or without a general strike. Well, yeah, that's, I mean, that's what I'm sort of curious about in that, you know, these every, every union is fighting for their own obviously for for the rights of their workers and for the improvement of their workers but this is this is a huge countrywide problem right now and as you say we need it's why i'm sort of curious about the idea of a general strike there needs to be something some sort of mass happening doesn't there to to kind of improve where where everyone is and and i suppose also you know and i'm and i'm very aware and and agree with the argument that that things unions improving things for their workers improve things for all workers and i do agree with that but it it does feel like we need something that covers everything <laughs> which is it's yeah. a big ask but I, yeah no that's why because yeah, in the absence of that we are just going to be that. left with these few little bits you are right you are right and i've been a trade unionist now for another years you know a few decades now i've been a trade unionist and 
it's, it's been obvious all along that if we do just keep having these little siloed pockets of action, we're not going to get anywhere near what we need. So we have heard people talking about coordinating stuff, um, and even the RNTs are likely to be involved in that. But right now, those union leaders are still talking about doing one day of action. I mean, a general strike, it, it's literal sort of meaning is everyone goes out and you don't go back in until you get what you want. We haven't had those kind of strikes in this country for going on 40 years now. Uh, but it's probably what we need. You know, the, the, the amount of money that the rich have has gone up so massively. I mean, catastrophically higher during the, 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 the uh, pandemic. And our share is just going down and down. And so to get anything like that, we are really going to have to take on like solid action together. Um, and with, with unions like Unite, traditionally their their weakness is their their strength they've got a huge number of people but they only have these little one day strikes one one company doing this one bus company doing that and so yeah you are you know you're right it's going to take something massive and we but that means we're all going to have to do something massive is it is it frustrating? I mean, you know, the TUC have just called for. Uh, they they said that they were making a big announcement uh, the other day, and it was a rise in minimum wage, which still didn't seem like it was enough of a rise yeah. to, to counter things. And there was a sort of a call for an emergency budget or a, or a windfall tax. And you know, and and arguably those are all things that we do need, but they didn't. You know, to, to me, they didn't feel like they were enough. Do you think any of those are sort of is that is that what they have to do? Do they kind of have to begin with? proposals like that before we go for something bigger no one who's in the union ever has any faith in anything the tu says i mean even <laughs> <laughs> going back a hundred years the tuc are the people who are going oh are you sure you want to be doing that they really are they're not even they're not even the sort of conscience of the union movement trying to make sure we do things the right way they try and stop everything uh, when there's ever been any chance that we could tip things over into winning they're the ones that have said, nah. So the TUC is not going to call a general strike. The TUC, it's, it's almost not its role. Its role is to sit there, go into the, go, go into the sort of the big dinners held by uh, big institutions and re they represent the trade union movement. Uh, but that said, and there's, there's always a that said, right, there's going to be huge numbers of people in this country who are just starting to hear about unions, who don't know that things can be pushed for and that we can win things. And so when you've got the TUC, as small as its idea is, which is, what, £15 per hour in eight years' time, which is, of course, an astonishingly small amount of money. Again, there's loads of people on a lot less than that. But a real living wage is at least that much now. I mean, to put it in context, even though the uh, currency is different, in America, the $15 an hour campaign started 10 years ago. Now, they're still not there yet. Wow. But So we're starting £15 an hour now for eight years' time. It's something. They're not going to do anything about it. This is the thing. They're going to do some, maybe organise some leafleting campaigns, uh, maybe a petition. I mean, and you know how good those are, don't you? So we're not really going to get anything from the TUC, but they can open the door to us at least talking about it. How are you, how are you feeling sort of as, as a union member? You say you've been a union member now for, for you said, it's a couple of decades. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, it, it feels to me... Um, <sighs> Even just, you know, I have the opportunity, I, I speak to people sort of when traveling around doing gigs and things like that. And generally, public support for unions seems to be much higher than I remember it being for, for quite some time. Do you, do you think we're either at a turning point or maybe we've even passed one in terms of people being back on the side of unions again? Because, you know, we had all that nonsense. We, we're still, the, the terms are still being used about union barons with all their money that they don't get. And, you know, all, their, all this nonsense about how they're ruling, you know, they're, they're, they're ruling everything and causing us trouble. That, that seems to have disappeared in terms of general kind of public uh, chat. Do you, do you think that things have changed and, and, and why? You know, you're just talking about this, sort of taking the mick out of the way people talk about union barons and stuff. They say they're going to take us back to the 70s. These people were saying that in the 70s when I was a kid. Yeah. You know, <laughs> wherever we are with unions, no matter how little power, how much power, people always say, don't give them any more. It was the same with Corbyn. Don't have mild social democracy because it will take us back to the 70s. The late 70s were pretty much the happiest people have felt in this country on record. You know, and it sort of, 
in terms of standard of living, okay, people didn't have the internet, but maybe that's not such a bad thing. But, you know, in in terms of just the absolute quality of life, the the fact that people weren't working endlessly, like doing two jobs and stuff like that, things were a lot better. And I'm not saying I want to go back to the 70s or anything. I'm just making the point that you've never, they've always been saying that uni and barons want to sort of take us back to something really bad. Um, I do think that, support for unions is radically increasing but we've been through a really weird few decades now after thatcher came in she really sort they slaughtered the unions but they also slaughtered you call union consciousness now i work with people whose parents have never been in a union let alone them being in a union. and so the idea of unions has gone out of people's minds i was at a little demo uh, firefighters were just holding a, a demo a few years back mm. uh, and some young women walked up to us and said what's this about and i said oh it's the firefighters union and they didn't know what a union was now i don't blame those people i really don't blame them unions are the sort of things that you only really find out about if they're like having an impact in society people's parents are going on strike or if people's parents got a good pay deal because the union won it so there's that there's also when sort of Blair came in, there was this idea that you don't need unions anymore. Unions became things for selling credit cards and and home insurance policies. So obviously people eventually get fed up with that. People start wanting more. They they start saying, hang on a minute, we are getting fucked over here. And they start saying, we want to fight back. And the only way, the the best way, the only way that anyone's ever worked out how to do that is when people at work get together, start making demands. So that's starting to happen. People at home are just seeing their standards of living just being slaughtered. And the two start coming together. You start hearing about how bin workers in Coventry have won this pay rise, and it starts to click with people. Then you hear people like Mick Lynch and Eddie Dempsey coming on the telly and just saying stuff that seems to click with people. So there's I, whether we've sort of passed the turning point or we're still reaching it, I, there's, it's definitely there. And of course, you'll know when we've definitely reached it because it will be on the front pages of the paper about how Union Baron Mick Lynch wants to take us back to the seventies. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, it's always incredible, isn't it, that they're sort of uh, talking about blackouts in January because of energy crisis, but it's the unions that will take us back to uh, a previous time. It's That's astonishing, like, oh, isn't it? Blackouts, we've got polio, back sewage in the sea, everything, yeah. <laughs> everything that they they sort of predicted that the left, that Corbyn, that unions could have done, they're inflicting on us all the time. You know, empty shelves, queues for petrol. There'll be queues for water soon, you know. Yeah, it's, I, I always just assume that they are angry with the prospect of going back to the 70s because that's not far enough back for that. They need sort of Victorian time. <laughs> the 1870s, always, yeah. You know, like, yeah. yeah, we need to... <laughs> when Jacob Rees-Mogg wants us to go back to the 1840s and until we're there, he's going to be very unhappy. I mean, I've never um, met somebody like that just looks like they want to take us back to that as well. He really is a living <laughs> embodiment of that, isn't he? Absolutely terrifying human being. Um, <laughs> I, I, I was just going to say, like, do, do you think as well that the because like, it's it's not just in the in the UK. Like, I, I keep hearing about all the the union movements in the states as well. Like Amazon, the amount of Amazon workers that have unionised and sort of fought against Amazon, yeah. absolutely trying to crush them at every point. It it it, it does seem to be like almost a global a global feel about it that people are finally realizing that they can they have some sort of power yeah definitely and amazon's a good example amazon has crushed its workers for years and years and years and it's when the workers just finally thought hang on we might be able to fight back people started trying to unionize amazon they've been trying for years amazon in america where the employer can have its say as to whether the the company gets unionized or not they've managed to fight back against unionization but the biggest thing was that the workers were getting crushed for years before the union sort of uh, efforts started to build up. But now they are starting to build up. It's still tiny. It is really tiny. We have to understand that even in this country, almost no one belongs to a union. But in other parts of the world, you know, in, in sort of Central South America, there are massive union movements. There are real moves against things. So, so yeah, there is definitely a sense of a movement building up. And it's also coming at the same time as COVID has shown us that around most of the world, the people running it can't provide for us. There's, it's no coincidence that both those things are happening at the same time. 
I'm going to ask a very, a very telling question of myself, uh, really, because I'm I'm a, I'm a member of two unions, even though I'm self-employed. Uh, <coughs> I won't I won't name them both, but I'm a member of two unions. But the the, the issue that I always find is I'm, I'm a parent. I'm I'm endlessly working. You know, we've got all the bills arising that uh, that are terrifying, and and I keep getting sent things like the way to take part in these unions was oh there's going to be a four hour Zoom meeting on Wednesdays. Like, I've got no time to do that and juggle all these other things. Like, is it you know how to do you, do you think people are put off by the idea of sometimes the kind of effort that it takes to be part of something like that? You know, you, you say you've been you've been involved in unions for, for two decades, you're a union rep. Is that does that take a lot of time out of your life? And and how do you kind of persuade people that that they need to kind of yeah. take those steps? Do you know what I mean? As, as I said, it makes me sound like I'm really lazy. Going, I haven't got time for it. But it is that it genuinely is a worry. Sometimes. It's a great point, because let's be honest here, right? You do your seven, eight, nine hours work day. You just want to go home or you just want to be with your family afterwards. Our union meetings, just our local ones, tend to be two hours long. Uh, if you've done eight hours work, you do not want to be sitting in a pub as they normally are or in a, in a in any kind of building or even on Zoom with people. You don't want to do it. I don't blame people that don't want to come to these things. Uh, just to go back to the past again, it used to be considered like a badge of pride. It was part of working life. Often that was to do with sexism. The women were at home. The men would work and then they would go to the working men's club and have a union meeting and stuff. But it did lead to things like if there was a vote for a strike, everyone in the yard or in, in the working men's club would just raise their hand up and then there would be a strike. Now, like I say, people don't have the time. Or let's, let's be honest, you just want to claw your eyes out for having to do it anyway, even if you did have the time. And I don't know the answer to that because it also has to be done. Um, that isn't to say that everyone in a union, could, we, it, it isn't some moral thing. I don't mean, when I say it has to be done, I don't mean that you're not a good union member if you don't do it. I just mean that, like, for us to know that people want to go on strike, they have to come and tell us. Uh, now, often that can happen in a workplace, but having having meetings where people talk and talk about their lives and talk about how they've had enough and stuff, that can sort of spur things on. It can spur the union to fight more. Um, and the same thing happens in local communities. People sit at home, usually, not knowing that other people out there are feeling the same as them. And then they can get together and really, they could stop a library being closed or they can stop a swimming pool uh, price, prices being like, hiked right up. So I actually I start off by completely understanding that people don't have the time or the inclination to do it. But at the same time, the stuff we do has to be done. And it can't just be done by union reps. It can't just be, oh, will the unions do something about it? I, I rest on the shoulders of everyone at work. And when that stops, I'm no good as a union rep. Oh, yeah, it's pretty, I, I mean, I think you make a really valid point that, that uh, sort of whenever I do or have taken part in action, I'm always so pleased I'm there, always so pleased to meet other people that feel, I think yeah, there's yeah. something so cathartic about going, oh my God, everyone else is absolutely as terrified as I am or fed up with this or whatever. You know, it is, I think um, it, it's particularly, uh, as I said, well, so for myself anyway, after the last few years of everything, everything extra you have to do is suddenly so exhausting but the benefits of it are obviously especially if your union gets stuff uh changed and fights for well, it. also there's a lot of times when people think that stuff isn't worth doing like you get a lot of people on the left who think that oh another march is being called another demo is being called oh we're marching from a to b again are we and there's a lot of validity in that but actually one of the reasons to have those like a march on parliament or a march to a rally in Hyde park is suddenly you realize oh my god i'm surrounded by people who feel just mm. as shit as me and that is vital it's really vital to be part of a group of people, even if it's a small group of people at work or a massive group of people out in a park, that, that you realise you don't have to feel alone anymore. Is is that part of why... You, you mentioned um, Mick Lynch and Eddie Dempsey earlier, and I wondered if... Like, like it's, it's part of the reason why they've really cut through, because they've really, really cut through, those two in particular... Is it the fact that they sound like there are? They sound like how everyone feels. They sound like normal people. Um, they they're not sort of doing all the double speak that 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 politicians. You know, is there something? Um, you know, are we in need of just people who speak like us? And and I wondered as a sort of side question to that. You know, I'm sort of really interested in like the enough is enough campaign. Um, these campaigns that aren't party affiliated. Do you think that really helps? Do you know what I think? The biggest reason that people like Mitt Lynch and Bob Crow before him, for, for those who remember him, Bob Crow was also considered a hero. Every, every time he appeared on TV, 
people would phone up the union and say, we want to join your union. You'd get massive numbers of people, really, really, and, and people that the union couldn't represent because they weren't in the rail industry. But and, and when I would go and speak at meetings, people would say, we wish we had Bob Crow. And why is that? It can't just be because he sounds like Cockney sort of the earth guy. No, it's because he doesn't bullshit. Mick Lynch doesn't bullshit. Uh, Eddie Dempsey, they don't bullshit. And, well, actually, you know, I, I suspect that a lot of marketing companies to teach, could teach you how to not bullshit. But he actually really speaks the truth. He, like, and I, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to sound like I'm not deifying here. It's, it's literally, we're getting fucked over. There is a group of people who are doing it. We can stop them. And he's using different language to say that. And it is just really laying it out how it is. Talking about how the rich are getting richer, how company dividends have gone way up, profits have gone way up, wages have gone down. And ever since, probably since the new labour times, when everything became marketised and, and, and down to marketing as well, where people were taught even how to hold their hands up while talking actually telling the truth became sort of really obscured in well how it tests with focus groups and stuff so these days if you just tell the truth to people or if you just let you say speak how they speak if you just talk about stuff that is actually their lives it's not to say they're going to support you but they're going to listen to you and so part of why i think that union leaders that are speaking at the moment, uh, whether it's Dave Ward from The Post or Sharon Graham from Unite or, or uh, uh, Mick Lynch from the RMT, they're really talking about the lives of the people around them, not just their members. They're, they're saying stuff in a way that every worker can understand. We've all worked in places where there have been these really big cuts or where there's been no pay rise this year. and that. So they talk about it and they don't bullshit and they don't cover it up in flowery language. And that's really important. And, yeah, the more we can get that, the better. Um, as to your second one, it's kind of an interesting question because it, it does relate to the first one in that if there were Labour MPs who really were just saying it how it is, like they used to be, then the fact that they were Labour MPs would, would be a benefit for them. People would think, oh, I want to listen to this Labour Party. But the fact that turning that around, we've got a Labour Party that will not talk language of people will not talk about that you know you get Keir Starmer on TV talking about how he's costed nationalization and we've been through a pandemic and we can't afford it stuff that people know is bullshit uh it maybe becomes important to not be affiliated with a party truth is though I actually think if 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 these campaigns achieved anything people wouldn't care who they were affiliated with because that's you know that's not where people are at now. Uh, I do think people understand that politics, like big P politics, isn't really capable of getting us anything anymore. It's been decades now, and and politics just doesn't. They were able to get a huge amount of money flowing through COVID. They could have done that any time before or since. They didn't. They don't seem to want to anymore. Uh, Labour doesn't seem to be talking about like a radical things where we renationalise these companies and we get the energy bills right down. We build 100,000 houses a year. No one's talking about that. So when they don't, people step in from the outside and say, we've got an idea, don't pay your bill or, you know, in the Enough is Enough campaign. I'm not sure what their aim is yet, but that's basically a lot of union people and a lot of union members uh, hopefully getting together to do something. And the fact that it's not affiliated with Labour right now probably is to its benefit. It's also, um, you know, one of the things you sort of mentioned about um, it is, it is so refreshing hearing people not bullshit. But it's, it's also interesting that it feels like it's the most airtime I've ever seen people like union reps get given i don't think i'd ever seen pre you know previous years and, and i don't if that's just because of where we're at now like you say with people just being so fed up of everything in the last few years that we've had and and we've hit you know however many years of austerity we've been through so much uh in the last decade and but but i don't think you know i very much remember bob crow being being on the news but i don't remember him being on the news as much as say mick lynch being on every single tv program that i turned on for several days yeah, in a row, yeah. which is which is incredible and then he also doesn't play the game with any of them with any of the people that he's talking to but is that you know it, that that feels like quite a turning point as well to me that that you know whether or not they're they're doing it cynically because they think they can catch him out on something or not but it does feel like suddenly media are paying attention to these people uh, as well i mean there's a few things the first thing you've got to take into account is of course these these people have got 24-hour news channels they need content so if they've got someone giving them content 
that don't quite care who it is. But that's not quite it, is it? That's definitely that can't just be quite it. Uh, going back to Bob Crow, you would never see these long interviews with him. You would see clips of Bob Crow. Now they'd often be dynamite. You know, I remember uh, they always ask um, union leaders, "Are you going to apologise for the uh, problems that your strike cause?" will cause and i remember bob crow being interviewed and saying no i'm not going to apologize i hope it causes chaos and that that's incredibly refreshing because even though people don't like the chaos of a strike to hear someone actually say something real like we were just talking about just now was brilliant but even he didn't get this kind of airtime and i've been thinking about this generally we know that unions can't get a fair hearing you'll never hear the, the truth about a tube strike most people think our strikes have been about one thing only. They have no idea that we've been on strike to try and stop cuts to safety and that kind of thing because the media really doesn't want people to know that unions can help you. All I can think is that these TV, these media companies realise that if they don't do something, then they're going to just lose their audience. I can't think of what else it could be. There is the cynicism of they want content. There is the cynicism of trying to catch him out. That's really important. But to be honest, they, you know, if they're going to do that, uh, they could just do it without showing it live in the studio. They don't need to do that. They could just interview, uh, you know, in 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 in, the, in the, the the station and just just only play the back bit that catches them out. I do think there is something for that. They know that the public is suffering. Uh, I think if it turns out that the railways were going on an indefinite strike you wouldn't get Lynch in the studio to explain it all nicely. So I do think I do think TV companies, media companies have always got that balance where they don't want people to know that unions can win. But I think right now they probably know that no one is speaking up for them. In fact, probably the final thing to say on that is if Labour was really saying this stuff, Lynch wouldn't need to say it in the studio. That's probably more likely that just no one else is saying this. So it's down to the union leaders. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, and, and thank you know, brilliantly, they're, they're great at it, which is great. But yeah. it's is, it is so depressing that that's the yeah, it's because there's no political. It is great uh, that they're not trained as well. That's yeah. I mean, perhaps one of the reasons yeah. they're great is they're not trained. These these are just rail yeah. workers from my where I am. Um, Mick Leach just uh, came through the ranks. He was a rail worker who eventually became the general secretary. He's not a guy who came from a university background and went through these think tanks, which you find is how Labour MPs get it now. Um, but no, so he's not trained at all. And I'm, I'm really happy that these guys are doing it. It's, it makes such a difference. It's, I mean, a complete tangent. One, uh, a radio show I've been listening to lately is Alexi Sale talking to people on trains. I don't know if you've heard it, Strange on Train. He has chats with normal people on a train and it's the most refreshing listen of going, oh, that's how real people talk. I'd almost forgotten. I never get to hear that anymore. Just get to have people having a conversation about, here's my life and here's what I'm doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a totally different tone and a totally different unmedia savvy way of speaking that just feels real and it's an absolute joy. It's it really lovely. is, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Really good. Um, I wanted to ask you because uh, I was very aware that when asking you questions that you know we have heard. Um, uh, we, well, I, I feel like I'm quite aware of what RMT is standing for and, and and what the strikes have been about. But I have been reading up on it. I've been actively interested in it, and I didn't want to come straight in with, "Well, you're a union rep. What is it you're standing for?" Is it, why you are you? All the time. Why are you causing yeah. chaos? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Exactly. How long are people going to stand for this? Um, don't you think they have to get to work? Yeah. Um, all that nonsense. But you know. Um, but I, I wondered if, if I could sort of ask you a little bit of kind of specificity, specificity about about it in that I just wondered what, because, you know, I feel like the, the railway network in the UK is, is a mess uh, and it has been for a very long time. And what what kind of investment and change does it really need to make it viable for workers, but also passengers? Because it feels like, you know, we're in a situation where we've got climate change, we've got energy crises. A, a, a proper railway network would make such a massive difference to this country, which people have been talking about for years. Um, and, and what RMT are fighting for is at, at the moment is kind of, I suppose, even just the, be- the beginnings of, of, of what we need. Is that is that right? Yeah, unfortunately, what what almost all these strikes are about is defensive stuff. We're trying to, to stop them. Uh, cutting a load of jobs we're trying to stop them reducing sort of safety inspections and stuff That's, so we're not even at the stage yet going back to what a general strike could could achieve we're not even at the stage of saying we want you to add this we're at the stage of saying we're not going to let you stop doing this mm. but uh your, your other point uh it wouldn't surprise you to know that i think we need like massive massive investment uh and this is Britain is such a weird country for just not wanting to do things. We've just had a line partially open in London called Crossrail. 
Now, this is a line that goes from Essex in the east down, down to Heathrow uh, in the west. And it's a great idea. It was first planned in the 1970s. It would have been dirt cheap to do it in the 1970s. But this is a country that does not like spending on infrastructure. And even with it coming in, it's only going to, well, these are old figures, so it might be better, it might be worse, but it's only going to alleviate sort of about 10% of the overcrowding on the lines where, where it hits. It's, it's not going to increase capacity by that much at all. Now, this is a fantastic line. I mean, cost a fortune. They're about to build another one called HS2, this high-speed line, which you know, for all its problems, it's something we need in this country. We've got really terrible high-speed capacity. But these things don't even touch the sides. What you were saying about how for a rail system fit for workers, that means two things. It means getting to work in a, in a comfortable, reliable, safe way. It also means being able to use your leisure time. Uh, without cars and stuff. We are so nowhere near that. But you know what? It could be done. We have so many people in this country who could be trained up to do this work. There are so many unemployed people who would just love to be trained as engineers, as builders, and all that sort of stuff. It doesn't even have to cost the money that they say it costs. We just seem to always choose to make things as expensive as possible. So, yeah, at the moment, the, the rail unions, we're fighting to, top, to stop them cutting stuff. But we would love to be at the forefront of getting them to build stuff. Ah, that's the dream. That's the absolute yeah. dream. Wouldn't it be nice if there's actually investment in things that made our lives nice? And stuff that you didn't um, have to pull kicking and screaming as well. That's the thing. Yeah. Such an effort, isn't it, for all of it, all of it to get any of it done. Um well, well, thank you. Listen, Tony, I really appreciate it. And I, I, know, I know you're on a busy week of, of repping this week, so I yeah. appreciate you having the time. Um, I, I, the last question which I've got to ask you, which is what I ask everybody that I speak to on the show, with the hope of furthering useful information, uh, which is that, you know, apart from yourself and obviously the RMT, um, and and, uh, and and actually I might ask you in a second to talk about the RMT Hardship Fund, because I know we said to mention that. Um, but I wonder if there's anyone else you could recommend listeners follow or check out or whatever for just kind of decent informed opinions about the terrifying state of everything you know who, who do you yeah i was gonna say that's a really hard to? one actually <laughs> because like uh, how how i tend to do things I, I tend to sort of get my stuff mediated through friends and stuff so because if you if you just go on twitter and, uh, and facebook and you follow all these uh newspaper companies for example from the guardian the independent which at least tell a smidgen of the truth you're going to end up so depressed. Now, I actually don't really have an answer for that uh, because the the best thing I can say is sort of try, try and find out what local campaigns are going on in your area. Or if there is a strike, try to go to find out what it's about. And when I say local campaigns, I mean, there are there is tons of stuff. We've got uh, anti-deportation campaigns. We've got campaigns to stop people being evicted. There's stuff I mentioned earlier to stop... Um, swimming pool prices going up or to save libraries when you do that when you even just watch those campaigns you start to learn so much more about what people have done why they do it and it does start to improve your level of knowledge because let's face it even if we do follow the guardian the the mail all these things you're going to get a head filled with absolute shit so i i find that a really hard question to answer because i get i get most of my stuff through friends who are saying oh guess what they're doing now <laughs> and that's <laughs> you know, that's the best thing for me but uh, but actually following what's happening in your area that you probably never knew about that's a great thing to do and, and can i just ask you about the rmt hardship fund because you mentioned it to me just before we started recording and i didn't know about it at all so it's to support people who are on strike is that right? yeah um one of the things that people do in strikes is they like to pretend that everyone's on the top amount of money. So when people have sort of spoken against these RMT mainline strikes and they've said, oh, uh, rail workers earn 70 grand, stuff like that. Well, the first thing is, no, most of them don't. Most of them are on just normal wages when it comes to station staff, cleaners, uh, office staff. They're on just normal money. And then for every day strike we have, this is something – People might not know you don't get paid for going on strike. The union doesn't pay you. You lose that money. So you do reduce your ability to pay your rent, to pay your mortgage that time. And it does become really, really, really scary, especially if, as it looks, you're going to have to uh, do more striking uh, to even to win anything. So the RMT does have a um, hardship fund that people can donate to. Um, that It would be really good if people could... Uh, help out if they've got any money spare which is obviously a big ask at the moment no one minds if you haven't but you know if you could the um if you could spare a few bits for the rmt hardship fund that would be brilliant 
I am so pleased Tony had the time to chat and I hope you enjoyed that too. Um, you can find Tony at Tonty Trains on Twitter and obviously the RMT can be found at rmt.org.uk, um, at RMT Union on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. And most importantly, the Fund for Striking Workers is at rmt.org.uk forward slash about forward slash national hyphen dispute hyphen fund. And I'll pop all of those links into the blurb too because that was a long was a long link to say. Just click on the thing in the blurb. Come on, you're not an amateur. Um, also, big, big thanks this week to Raf, aka at Uncle Trash on Twitter, um, who put me in touch with Tony and uh, another upcoming guest in the next few weeks. Um, Raf has been hosting absolutely superb Twitter spaces about all sorts of political issues. Um, I've been a silent listener on a number of them, as they often happen during uh, our failed attempts to get my agent, uh, sorry, daughter, to bed. But I'm hoping to join in one properly soon. Hopefully, I will. Um, who else would you like to hear from on here? And, and about what? I've got a mini list of subjects that include someone on climate stuff again, someone on health stuff again i mean basically i'm revisiting all the things i've interviewed people about on here loads uh but they've all got worse so specific ones would be great um but are there other countries policies you'd like to hear about other things going on in the uk that i don't know about and haven't mentioned let me know and you can do that by messaging me in all caps on the at parpolbro twitter so i take you seriously or by emailing me at partly political broadcast at gmail.com <laughs> And that is the end of this week's Partly Political Broadcast podcast and depending on what Liz Trust does over the rest of the week, possibly the world. Um, still, maybe you'll be hearing this as your last bit of audio as the sky goes for us and which, frankly, I'd consider a better use of your ears than saying cheerio to loved ones or smugly saying I told you so into the radioactive dust clouds as they consume your face. Why not allow others this audio treat too by recommending this here show for their podcast feeds? You can also give it a review on Apple Podcasts or the like and pretend that means something. And if you have incredible amounts of riches and will be leaving the heating on endlessly till March with no fear, then maybe consider donating to the Kofi and Patreon. But also, you know, don't worry about it. Big warm, but not too warm, as that is going to be really expensive. Thanks to Acast, my brother, the last skeptic, and Cat Day. And this will be back next week when Liz Truss announces her big plan to, with surging energy costs, is to cut off all electricity and gas supplies to the country, replacing them instead with a daily singing of Oh My Island in the Sun and an insistence that we have to think about being warm and it'll all work in no time. Bye. This week's show is sponsored by Trust Solutions. Got a problem that needs fixing? Call Trust Solutions and we'll tell you we'll fix it. Just, you know, in a week. What's the solution? Ah, well, it's there it is and, you know, it'll work. But what is it though? Well, yes, exactly. Trust Solutions, solving all of your problems. Well, except those ones. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.